0: How do you grow like a VC backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome everybody to the Scale Up Show. This is Ryan Staley, your host, and I have a very special guest with me on today, I have MJ Patton. MJ is the driving force behind Elveo. She's a battery starter. The engine all rolled into one, and I messed that up as well. But you'll you'll get it. That's all right. We're going to roll with it here. So MJ has created and led marketing teams for Fortune 500 tech companies, has developed successful go-to-market strategies for software, hardware, and services organizations. Most recently, she was at Tech Data and Insight, where she was the head of the global marketing for global services organization. MJ, happy to have you on. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't boot me after I messed up your intro like five times. So, um, so anyways, why don't you give your background, your superhero origin story, on how you what, what kind of ignited the spark for the whole the whole marketing bug you have, and then kind of how you got to this point to where you're at today.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm gonna take you back, you know, a decade or longer um, where I first started my career and. I took uh, actually a biz dev role. Uh, I wanted to be in marketing, but you know it's what I got at the time. It was right after the recession. And uh, when I came into that organization, they didn't have a marketing department. It, it was a complete mess. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna take it upon myself to build a marketing department. And uh, I got you know, executive support and so forth. And then one day I get, a, I get an email And I'm the kind of person who actually reads through the entire thread of an email. I don't know if you're that kind of person, but I like,
0: no, not at all. I complete opposite. (laughs) I just look for the high notes. You know what I mean? This is me complete opposite. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah.
1: I, so I read through the entire thing. So I I'm scrolling down. This is a long uh, email and I get to the bottom and there there's my CEO and she wrote MJ should just stick to your job. And I'm reading this and I'm like, I get all flushed, right? Because I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I run <laughs> to the bathroom and I just start bawling. Okay, so here I am bawling my eyes out, not know- not knowing what I should do. Like, do I go back and just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to mm-hmm. develop quotes and it is what it is. Uh, or, or was I going to take that moment and really become a change maker? And that's... That was a pivotal moment in my career. Uh, and I think everyone goes through those type of pivotal moments where you can make a decision of like, do you back down or do you continue on? And for me, that was the moment where I said, you know what, I really believe in this. I know this is better for the company as a whole. And I decided I was gonna push through. And it was a ton of work. But by the time that I left that organization, we had a five-person marketing department. We completely rebranded. Um, I redid their website. Uh, I was working on their platform, and we we were optimizing the customer uh, experience. And this is before like SaaS was like a thing. And you know, I've done that ever since then. Every role that I have taken, it has been to be a change maker, to build something that people didn't think was. Was going to happen, and mm-hmm. uh, and I love doing it, and that's why I have my my firm because that's what what I help other companies do.
0: Awesome. So, and and I, I mean, everybody has those those pivotal moments where you kind of get punched in the face or slapped in the face or whatever you want to call it, and it has you take a hard look at what you're going to do, and you either go, you, you know, you either take the 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 blue pill or the red pill, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, now that we're taking drugs on here. On the scale up show or anything like that, you know, we're not Joe Rogan smoking a fatty with uh, Elon Musk, but but anyways, um, so so yeah, I mean that's that's awesome that you decided like, hey, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and just make it happen. So so let's talk a little bit more because I, I, it sounds like you've you've gotten scrappy and had to create things from the ground up, which I absolutely love because that's the same way that I approach saying so. You know, I know one of the things you do is look at companies by stages in terms of their maturity and then what to focus on marketing wise and sometimes revenue wise as well based on the stage. So could you walk us through kind of those different stages and, you know, just like the the view or the the mental model that you take when you're walking through that mentally?
1: Sure. So uh, we have a go to market uh, maturity model that we apply to all of our clients um, and to our prospects. And uh, and I actually apply my own business to this as well. So that way we can make sure that we're continuously, uh, you know, maturing over time. It starts out with the opportunistic stage. And a lot of business owners, they know what this feels like. This is where uh, usually the business owner is the one creating all of the deals. They don't really have a plan. They're kind. This is really equivalent to the product market fit. They're trying to see if people will pay them for the, the shit that they're creating or the services that they're providing. And uh, this is a great stage and you have to go through this stage because this should be a lot of testing, understanding, um, you know, the feedback that you're getting from the market, and then using that to move you on to the next stage. And the next stage ends up being repeatable. This is where companies need to start documenting their processes. They need to uh, hone in on their focus. And in a lot of ways, this is where they're trying to figure out their go-to-market fit. So this is, can they sell the services or the product in a sustainable way? Um, Have they figured that out? And then from there, it goes into scalable. So this is usually where we see companies invest in their infrastructure, um, building out uh, their team, and really just accelerating. A lot of training is happening, and it's you know, all of the things that you would expect when you're scaling an organization. And from there, you then move on to sustainable. So at this stage, pretty much every dollar you put in, you should be aware of how much you're going to be getting out. It's predictable results at this point. And then you're slowly moving in to the most uh, optimal stage, and that's called, uh, um, you know, optimal, um, where you're constantly refining, you have completely integrated uh, organizations, you have data sharing, you have the mature processes, etc. And companies actually go through this model multiple times, because it's with every single go to market. Uh, they have to start at the beginning and then they, they go through the entire process and then they start over. But once you have it done once, you can apply that foundation to every other go to market as well.
0: Okay. So that, that works across, you're saying product led go to market, marketing, go to market, sales, go to market. Am I missing any? Those are the big three.
1: Yeah, so uh, it should be a combination of product or if you're a services business, service. Um, so the services delivery, marketing, and sales. And those three functions need to mature at the same rate across the entire maturity model. So what, what I've seen is where I've had, uh, let's say, a services org where their service management function, as well as their marketing function, matured very quickly, they got to scalable, right? But the sales organization mm-hmm. didn't, and they stayed in the opportunistic stage. That will actually impact your ability to hit scalable and sustainable revenue growth because your sales team is still acting like they have to chase every deal, they don't have the processes, they don't have a plan, um, while your other departments do. And so it's not working uh, together in an integrated fashion. So a lot of times when we come in, we actually map each of those departments and say, "Hey, we need to catch you up, so you're all on the same page." And then let's mature together across the organization.
0: Mm, okay. And how, So like, how do you how do you benchmark those by stage? Like, so let's let's and let me let's let me take a step back. So. How would you classify those those categories by revenue? And I know that's it's not an exact science, um, but would you attach a revenue number to it in terms of those those different stages? No, it's
1: um, I I actually wouldn't look at revenue. Uh, sometimes when it there's specific revenue amounts that you would expect companies to go through these different stages. So for example, um, you know, product market uh, fit usually happens up to about a million dollars. And then from a million to 10 million, uh, you start seeing the go to market fit. So you would expect it to be in that stage two, And by the time they get to 10 million, you would expect them to move on into the scalable, uh, phase. However, most companies, uh, don't actually collect enough information to inform their strategy, work on their strategy because they're just focused on execution. So they go into the whole scaling component and then just scale out their inconsistencies. So they end up getting to being a large company in some cases. Like I've worked with clients where, you know, they're $250 million and they were in opportunistic. So it, it's really looking at the um, the infrastructure of their sales, the infrastructure of their marketing, uh, fr- and also the product management, service management component, and seeing what do they have there as components, and is it really set up for success? Like, do they have processes in place? Do they have the people in place? Do they have the information that they should have at that stage? And that's kind of what we assess on.
0: Okay. I like that. And so so when, when you're looking at it, I guess like how would you, what would be the foundational building blocks you would look across those? Let's just keep it to those three categories. You know, product marketing and sales. You know, once you get to a million in revenue, you know, what foundations would you want to see in that million to 10 million range for all of those before they kind of progress to the next stage?
1: Yeah, at that point, you should really know who are you trying to target and where are you having the most success? Um, so win-loss is a really big deal around this. It's uh, understanding how the market is uh, taking in your, your service or your product. So a lot of times we ask to see that information and a lot of companies don't capture it or they don't capture it. Um, so it's a lot of anecdotal information. But taking that and uh, making sure that you actually document it and then you do a lot of testing. So that's a. in many cases, that's what we end up doing is we collect the data from our clients. We look at where do you think you're seeing a lot of success and then we build for that for testing purposes. That's when you start doing a lot of activity and then you're collecting it and then applying it back to the strategy, right? Um, Right. But in a lot of cases companies don't end up actually leveraging the information that they're collecting and instead just keep going, right? Like you have to go back and you have to look at what's been working, what's not working, so you continue to refine.
0: Okay, so so for that kind of Kaizen process as you look at it, like what, what's the frequency you'd recommend if, if a founder is looking at this and like, hey, we want to continually evaluate our, our marketing product and, <clears throat> and sales. You know, what kind of frequency do you look at in terms of doing it monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, um, annually, I'm sure all of the above. Right. But like what kind of routine or what kind of like structure would you apply to make sure that that's continually adjusted, tested and then improved upon?
1: Yeah. So if you don't have a team in place that that is doing it and um, like so product management and um Service management; those functions should be doing that and collecting that information on a regular basis. That that's really that their role in an organization. If you don't have someone who is doing that uh, and collecting that information, then I would at least make sure that it's being done on a quarterly basis. And that that's like like the minimum, <laughs> because you should be constantly uh, looking at your information and refining. I mean, like when when we started Alveo, AL, you know, I every conversation that i was having with my clients i was taking that back and i was documenting it of what was the feedback what was working what wasn't and i was refining off of it so it was continuous now some um obviously i this is you know the thing that i do so i know how to do it but if you are someone who's starting out your business i would say just looking back for the past quarter and saying, hey why did this work? Why did it not work? And if you don't know, go back to those people that you talked to and ask them. They're willing to tell you about their uh, their buying process. They're willing to tell you and give you feedback of why, you know, it wasn't a fit for them or what, what they were looking for that you, you weren't hitting on. So that way you're collecting that data and then you're applying it moving forward. If you're not doing that and you just keep shooting at it, I mean, like, you're, you're not going to, uh, speed up your growth.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I practice that because, um, same thing for a while, especially early on, I felt like I was just banging my head against the wall. And, and then I'm, I spent a couple hours every Friday doing that, like literally looking at, you know, across marketing product and, and sales just like, Hey, what, what went well, what didn't go so well, right? You know, how can I improve that? If I improved it, and you wouldn't believe that—I mean, I'm sure you would believe it—but most people wouldn't believe that the type of ideas that come to you—that if you were just like running on the treadmill, you just would skate right by you, right? You know,
1: it—it it, which it's really—and yeah. um, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but it's really about no, it's okay. honing in on your listening skills, right?
0: Your internal listening skills in- to yourself,
1: yeah, internal listening skills. Um and your listening skills of when when you're out in the market, like you stop talking and just listen.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's great. So by by implementing something like this, what kind of results are you seeing people achieve once they they take this and they they follow that maturity model that you're talking about, like? what what I guess financial impact it has and then also on like team and, and processes.
1: Yeah. So what what I have found is um, in organizations where we apply this and we applied it across the three different uh, revenue function areas and I will call anything that touches the customer experience a revenue function area. So like I said, in, in many cases, that's product, that's <clears throat> marketing, that's sales. Um, in those organizations, when you do it and they're completely aligned and they follow this process, they can end up doubling their revenue in a single year. It is a significant change. Uh, they can end up closing their business and cutting that time in half. Like, and I I've seen this at extremely large organizations. So I'm I'm not talking about, you know, like when you have a small company, it's like, you know, to double your revenue, that might not be a huge hurdle, but I'm talking about having a half a uh, a billion dollar business and having that level of impact. Um, So the process works. Uh, It's actually the reason why we help out uh, companies with it because it does accelerate their time to get to uh, sustainable and scalable revenue.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, those are some amazing results and I could totally see that um, because a lot of times folks are too busy just, like I said, in the business instead of working on the business. So it's a good routine, a great routine. Um, So let's shift gears a little bit. What would you say for you personally, what's, what's your absolute favorite tool that you couldn't live without?
1: That's a hard question. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it could be a couple, MJ. It doesn't have to be one, but like with running your business and and you can even apply it to, you know, one of the top two or three critical tools that you recommend customers use, right? Either way.
1: You know, it. the the reason why that's so difficult is it, it depends on what your business is trying to achieve. So I've been in situations where I've had to build out tech stacks and you know, especially now when there's like I think the last count was um I don't know over eight thousand different like tools and platforms and everything eight
0: thousand marketing tools yeah. yeah, I think sales is yeah. sales is uh not as uh heavy, I think there's like five. Hundred or a thousand or something like that for sales. Yeah,
1: in, in marketing, it's it's insane, and so because of that, you get you know like this shiny object syndrome, and it's like oh, we need this, and we need this, and we need this, and I've always cautioned my clients and uh, the companies I've worked for about investing in tools that they can't fully um, integrate and to optimize. Like if you can't leverage that tool, then it's a waste of your time and your money, and. Uh, so e- even in my business, I'm really, I'm, I'm a stickler about this. Like I will find a very awesome tool. And I'm like, Oh man, this is gonna like, I get my, you know, <laughs> shiny object syndrome myself. And I'm like, we need to uh, implement this because it's going to be awesome. And then I get billed for it for like four months where I haven't even touched it. Cause I just don't have the time. <laughs> Right. And so then I, I'm guilty. Yeah. So then I, I knock it out. Like I, I will admit, for example, I don't have marketing automation software. I'm a marketer and I'm, I have not invested in it. And I'm probably not going to for quite a while because my business is not there. I'm not going to be sending out regular marketing emails and like, I don't have the capacity for it. So, and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't tell a company to invest in that. If they're not ready for it and they don't have the resources to do it now uh, for a CRM that was number one I had to do it and I, I used HubSpot uh, because one I, I love HubSpot and I've been uh, an evangelist for them for I don't know like almost a decade at this point point. and um, but it, it's the same thing it's I didn't buy you know, the most expensive thing I bought the lowest and I'm building up to the next stage. And that's that's kind of my growth. So um, that that's my opinion on, on technology. And um, u- usually it's about what are you trying to achieve? And then what tools are going to let you do that? And then what what's the most pragmatic way to build up your tech stack, right? Um, but I will, I have been telling everyone about vocal video. So if you haven't heard about that, it's really cool, and i i probably have implemented in uh, in ways that it's not meant to be implemented, but I don't care. I I thought it is awesome. So that—have you heard of it?
0: I think you mentioned it to me one time, uh, but, but yeah, share share share, uh, share the details on yeah, it. Yeah. So it another another shiny object for everybody listening to go after. I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> go ahead. So, yeah. Tell us tell us about it.
1: So vocal video is a platform where you can collect uh, testimonials and videos from clients or prospects or, or whatnot and it's really easy because you set up five questions you send it off to someone and then they can record themselves either on their computer or on their phone and then you once they they do it, you go in. They it automatically creates a testimonial video. You can edit it for you know ten minutes, and then it turns into a case study, right? And it like think about how much money people spend to make a case study video, right? Like I I used to spend at least ten thousand, sometimes twenty thousand dollars on the case study video. And here I have a tool where I can capture this information without having to fly anywhere, without like all the production costs, all of that. And now I have uh, have this content. And I've actually started to use it as part of my sales process. So in case I'm talking to an executive who is very short on time, I can't get a meeting with them, I send them that link and be like, hey, just answer these few questions so we can move on to the next stage of our sales process. And I've had clients Mm -hmm. who have used it because it's so much easier for them to just record their response and then send it off to me. And it's, yeah, so I I love that tool. I think everyone should invest in that one. Uh, I do not get a commission. <laughs> um, but that that's why I would like to highlight.
0: That's great. I love the creativity with that. Uh, how about like, if we're, if we're changing gears again, um, these are just some fast fire questions. So who would you say is a founder that you look up to or think is doing an amazing job right now?
1: I was not prepared for such such hard questions. <laughs> um, let's see a founder
0: it could be a CEO as well maybe business leader whatever someone you're like hey that person's doing an amazing job like like for example me like someone who I think is doing an amazing job is Russell Brunson right he bootstrapped to billion dollar valuation and he's he did he totally did a marketing go to market more b2c motion. And he, he just has a lot of different ways in which he created a cult following. So that's one of the people that, like, I think is doing an amazing job. So does that spark any ideas for you? Or if not, we can move on.
1: Uh, yeah, so I honestly, I suck at names. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, who who's a great founder? I, it, I have a hard time answering it because... I have a hard time thinking of names um i would say like i said uh with for example with what hubspot does like i think those founders were brilliant i i love how they grew the organization i love how they were listening to like what was going on in the market and you know just the the way that they it's the same thing. They slowly grew their company and the services and the product lines that they, uh, were offering instead of trying to do everything all at once, which a lot of other companies try to do. Um, but if you ask me to name, uh, name them, uh, no, because I suck at names. So I'm,
0: <laughs> you know, I own that. <laughs> it's good. That, no, that's, that's good. Cause that's somebody actually, I haven't, um, there's a, I think it's my first million is a podcast. They actually interviewed. I think the founder of HubSpot. So um, that'd be kind of cool to check out. And then there's a guy named David Skok, like S-K-O-K. He sits on the board for HubSpot. He's got a lot of great content. Um, So anyways, just food for thought. Um, How about like books? Like what's your your favorite book that you've read over the last few years?
1: Well, um, I... There's a specific one, and I know several people have heard of this book, so I don't think I'm repeating anything, Uh, but The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I love that book. I've given that to uh, people to read, and the reason why that book for me was really important is that uh, years ago, I would uh, say that I was a workaholic, and it had a negative impact on my life and uh, on my marriage at the time, and that book helped me reframe a lot about my life and about what matters to me. And, uh, that's why I, I promote it to anyone about making sure that you're going things after the right reasons instead of, um, you know, because you think you're expected to, uh, or people have this expectation of you or whatnot. And, um, I know I was, I was working so hard for the wrong reasons. Um, so now it's reframed my, my thinking and my priorities. And I'm thankful for that. Um, another book that I, I'm really big on as well. And I would actually buy this for anyone who work, um, who works for me. It's the five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, Mm,
0: never heard of that. You haven't heard of that one. No, I never heard of it. Yeah.
1: It's fantastic. And I, uh, promote that across all of my teams because you do run into dysfunction. Uh, and especially as you get larger and larger in size. And I've been in situations where we've gone from, you know, having, uh, two people all the way to 30 people on a team within a year. And when that happens and there's so much change and everything, uh, it's, it's going to happen and you just don't have time for it in the business. But The Five Dysfunctions of a Team really uh, talks about how to build trust in your organization, how to, you know, have healthy and constructive debate, uh, how to make sure that you guys are all aligned and, go, and like, holding each other accountable, moving forward towards a, a single goal. It's a fantastic book. I make everyone read it because most of the time when I have to deal with, you know, inner office bullshit... Um, I just ask them, I'm like, did you talk to the person? And they're like, well, no, like, I don't want to. And it's like, well, just go talk to the person and have a conversation (laughs) and ask them if everything's okay. Like, don't assume, um, you know, that they're being mean to you or they have a, you know, an agenda or something, you know, assume innocence, show your own vulnerabilities, uh, create that connection. And from there, you can develop that trust um, know that when you are having a debate it's okay if you guys don't agree but sometimes people want to be heard so are you letting them do that so it like it 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 helps breed a really great culture and a really great team environment and so i i recommend that for any leader is to one read the book to give it to all of your teammates
0: excellent well i i've never heard of that book before but i could uh see massive benefits especially if you're building on a team so mm-hmm. All right, so we're just about up on time. Where can people find you, MJ? Where can they wear, learn more about you and Alveo?
1: Yeah, so they can check out alveostrategy.com. Um, Alveo is A-L-V-E-O, um, strategy. And if if you're curious about why it's Alveo, Alveo is actually Latin for uh, channel, and that's our, that's our sweet spot. So we're fully all in uh, on that space. Uh, but yeah, check, check that out or find me on LinkedIn. It's MJ patent, um, patents like the, the office um, <laughs> or the shoes, I guess. <laughs> um, you can find me on LinkedIn and connect there. Happy, to, happy to make those connections.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the show. We'll put that in the show notes as well so people can connect and reach out, but it was a pleasure having you on. And I look forward to seeing everyone on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering